Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I am your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is March 19th, 2011. Uh, We are in the 21st century, for those who don't know that. (laughs) And this is uh, turning out to be an interesting um, century if we do reach 100 years, which I doubt we will, but we'll see. Uh, We will have a 30-minute segment that will give you the opportunity to make any comments or ask any questions, so please wait until the end of the Bible study before you ask any questions. Of course, uh, I've been doing this uh, for the past several programs. Uh, If you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic, uh, then please email me at kennard at mercifulserviceofgod.com for your request. Additionally, please let us know what your needs are so that we can pray with you to God. This can be personal or customized biblical knowledge just for you, uh, career counseling, marriage counseling, food, a job, debt relief, healing from sickness, clothes, shelter, more vocational education uh, that will help you generate more money. Now, um, before I get to the Bible study today of what is the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ, what was his message? I want to talk about uh, Japan here. Now, I know last week I mentioned that uh, Japan... Uh, it was a surprise to me that they had serious, uh, not everyone there, but actually quite a few, obviously a significant few, have a problem with uh, pornography there. So uh, if you want to find out the details and specifics of that in, uh, that Bible study or that analysis of Japan's uh, social problems, please uh, listen to the Bible study last week. But anyway, I just found out something else, too, uh, that uh, makes sense, too. Uh, let me read this statement that a Japan official had made. Uh, You can find this at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Japan. Uh, Just type in um, in Google Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Japan, March 11, 2010. Uh, This was a statement that they made last year. And it's interesting that this earthquake happened a year later. But anyway... Uh, it says, statement by Press Secretary, Director General for Press and Public Relations, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and a decision of the Government of Israel regarding the construction of housing units at settlements in West Bank, including East Jerusalem. It says, the Government of Japan deplores. Now, the word deplore means that you just don't, you just can't even imagine uh, them doing a certain act or making a certain decision. So they, they really hate it 
the decisions of the government of Israel to give permission for the construction of 1,600 housing units in East Jerusalem, in addition to 112 units in the West Bank, just after the Israeli and Palestinian leadership's acceptance of the start of indirect talks. So anyway, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but I had no clue that the Japanese government uh, abhorred the fact that um, Israel wanted to do what they're supposed to do anyway, based on the Bible, um, live in the land and do whatever they want to do in the land. So as long as they're not sinning, of course. And there's a scripture in Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. God warns any nation or any individual who wants to curse Israel or says bad things about Israel. This is what he says. It's going to happen to you or to that nation. Uh, Zechariah 12, verse 1, The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Now, I want you to understand something. Most people don't understand this. Uh, when the Bible talks about Israel, people immediately speak of the Jews. Uh, Israel does not just consist of the Jews, but it also consists of uh, 12 tribes. And, Jews, uh, and the Jews, which is the tribe of Judah, is one of them. This is uh, explained in, in Genesis uh, 49, uh, where it outlines each of the specific tribes and in other places in the Bible. If you want a thorough explanation of this, I advise you to go to Yara Davidi's website, www.b as in boy, R-I-T as in Tom, A-M dot org. That's www.b as in boy, R-I-T-A-M dot org with secular, outside the Bible, and biblical proof. But anyway, uh, in this particular context, of course, it's talking about the Jews because the Jews live in Jerusalem. Okay, so it says, The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. However, I want you to understand that since uh, there are other tribes of Israel. If you say bad things about them too, then you'll get cursed as well. So I just want to point that out. Anyway, thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So there is a spirit in each of us. This, this is one of the scriptures that proves it. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. So this is a warning to all the Arabs that want to take over Jerusalem and make East Jerusalem their capital and all that, okay? So he says, Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and his rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah... I will keep my eyes open when I strike every house, uh, horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. So it's the saying that those who involve themselves against Jerusalem will get it. Okay, And I think the, the King James Version is a little more clear about this. It says, verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling, until all the people around about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. That's a clear translation. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Yeah, I didn't like that English uh, standard version of the Bible. Sometimes I have to go back to the King James Version because sometimes it's a little more direct. Uh, Though all the people the earth be gathered together against it. So that that is a better translation there because uh, I was looking at that and I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, in the easy-to-read version, it's even better, it looks like. It says in verse 2, Look, I will make Jerusalem like a cup of poison to the nations around her. The nations will come and attack the city, and all of Judah will be caught in the trap. That's true. That's going to happen. Verse 3, But I will make Jerusalem like a heavy rock. Those who try to take it will hurt themselves. They will be cut and scratched. All the nations on earth will come together to fight against Jerusalem. But at that time, I will scare the horse and the soldier riding it will panic. I will make all the enemy horses blind, but my eyes will be open, and I will be watching over Judah's family. So that's the easy-to-read version. So anyway, I'm reading this to you that to warn anyone, individually or, or nation, that don't, you know, sure, the Jews got their problems and so forth, but we all do, and God does not like you talking about Jerusalem. And I'm warning you, he, you talk about Jerusalem, you start hating the Jews, bad things will happen to you. Uh, that's either collectively or individually or as a nation. And that's, I'm not surprised that that earthquake happened in Japan, not only because uh, of their utter hate for Israel, for the Jews uh, living in that land. God wants them to live in that land. They should live in that land. Uh, if you read your Bible, you'll understand that. Uh, but, of course, second of all, that they have tremendous problems with pornography, as I proved last week. We do. We over here in this country have tremendous problems. We think that that no earthquake is going to happen here. I just uh, looked at the Weather Channel today, and it says there's 94% chance that there will be an earthquake in the in the uh, California area in the next 30 years, although I don't think it's going to take 30 years for, and they said a, a seven, at least a 7.0 earthquake or more. There's a 94% chance. And and the way we act in this country uh, is almost virtually guaranteed that that's going to happen unless we repent. So let's um, not put the Japanese people down, let's pray for them, and let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray that we repent so that God does not have to cause an earthquake to wake us up. All right, anyway, uh, the Middle East problem, I just heard in the news, my wife just told me that uh, we, the United States, we just fired some missiles at Gaddafi's army. Prior to that, uh, French planes had done something. Okay, so obviously there's a war going on here. In the Middle East, uh, it's going to probably be a small war because Gaddafi definitely doesn't have the power to stand up to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization or NATO. And I explained last week, um, I tried to make this as simple as I can, uh, Daniel 11, verse 40 to 45, uh, I explained that um, the Arabs obviously are the king of the south, they're south of uh, Israel, and, and then the king of Western civilization right now obviously is Obama. We don't know if he'll end up being the king that's going to uh, lose his mind and, and be the anti-Messiah. Uh, we don't know. But uh, we know that right now, currently, he is he's a, he's the leader of the free world. Okay? So anyway, the king of the north it was a Sel um, Seleucid Empire, and Antiochus Epiphanes came out of that. He's a type of anti-Messiah, and Rome conquered this territory in 63 B.C. Now, in the 21st century, this, this is the area of Syria, Iraq, and Iran, which NATO has great influence over, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which the United States is a part of. Now, the king of the south is the Ptolemaic kingdom, or was a Ptolemaic kingdom. Rome conquered it in 30 B.C. And in the 21st century, this area consists of Egypt, Libya, and the countries that surround them. Currently, the people who live in these countries are revolting. Um, Isaiah chapter 19 is a prophecy that leads us to the coming of the Messiah, and it does involve the Arab nations. It talks about Egypt uh, having internal factions among each other. And then Ezekiel 30, verse 1 and 9 includes, um, let me 
look at that here. Ezekiel chapter 30 is a prophecy talking about actually what's occurring now. Ezekiel chapter 30. Actually, let's start in verse 3. It says, That day is near. Yes, the Lord's day for judging is near. It will be a cloudy day, the time for judging the nations. Verse 4. A sword will come against Egypt. People in Ethiopia will shake with fear. When Egypt falls, the army of Babylon will take the Egyptians as prisoners. Egypt's foundations will be torn down. Many people, uh, many people made peace agreements with Egypt, but all these people from Ethiopia put Lud, all Arabia, Libya, Libya, and the people of Israel will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. Those who support Egypt will fall. The pride in her power will, will end. The people in Egypt will be killed in battle all the way from Megal to Aswan. This is what the Lord God said. Egypt will join the other countries that were destroyed. The cities will be among those that are in ruins. I will start a fire in Egypt, and all her helpers will be destroyed. Then they will know that I am the Lord. At that time, I will send out messengers. They will go in ships to carry the bad news to Ethiopia. Ethiopia now feels safe, but the people of Ethiopia will shake with fear when Egypt is punished. That time is coming. So anyway, this happened before in the past, but, and again, uh, as Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 states, that uh, history repeats itself. Maybe not exactly the way, but the social conditions are similar, and that's what's going on right now. Libya is definitely heavily involved in this prophecy, and um, when, you, when you go and read Daniel, let's go to Daniel and read this in the King James Version again. Daniel. And over here, starting in verse 40, it says, At the time of the end, might as well say the 21st century, the southern king will fight a battle against the northern king. Well, now let me read this in the King James Version. Daniel 11, verse 40. And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. Now, what does that word push mean? Let's look at the original Hebrew to understand it. It means uh, to war against. All right? So it means to war against. Now this word also can be used, interestingly, to uh, mean that you're oppressing the poor, pushing them into subjection. So that's interesting as well. But it also can mean the forceful expansion of a people or nation, and I think in this context that's what it's talking about here. All right, so push at him or war at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. Now, Gaddafi doesn't have many ships. Uh, he doesn't have, uh, he can't come at anybody with a whirlwind. So obviously this, talking, this is talking about the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which has most of the European nations, and you have the United States and Canada and Britain uh, involved. All right, so, and that's, in a sense, is what what's occurring right now. But as I was explaining to my wife, this prophecy here uh, is definitely talking about a full battle, not only between uh, little uh, Gaddafi here, but the whole world. Okay, let me let me read the rest of this. It says, uh, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind or a hurricane, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries. So it's plural, countries, not just Libya and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land. That's Jerusalem. It said he shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. 
So Libya is not going to be the only country that's overthrown. Egypt's not going to be the only country that's overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon, which is the area of Jordan today. And verse 42, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape, meaning that they were trying to escape. 43, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and of over all the pieces or all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. In other words, um, if you look up that word steps, let me take a look here. I was studying that today. This means to follow them. So, and that's what's going on right now. Egypt is trying to embrace democracy. NATO is all about democracy, right? Well, Libya looks like Gaddafi might get defeated today. Uh, there's no way on earth unless God protects him, which the way he's acting, I doubt that that's going to ever happen. Uh, he's going to lose his kingship or dictatorship, so his country is going to turn to democracy. So that's what's going on right now The beast who is hidden right now, the anti-Messiah, uh, is definitely all about democracy right now. So uh, Libya and Egypt is obviously going to become democratic, and Ethiopia will as well. That's what this prophecy is talking about here. So let's keep an eye on that. Let's keep an eye on what's going on here. And uh, let's realize that we are definitely living in the time of the end for God to allow a major country like Japan to have a 9.1 or 8.9. People can't make up their mind what it is, but whatever it was, it was a tremendous earthquake. Uh, he prophesied that this would occur in Matthew chapter 24. If this doesn't wake you up, folks, I, I don't know what will. Okay, I really, really don't know what will wake you up. So, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Many people have the different theories about what they think gospel is. Some people think the gospel is a a beautiful message of Christ, uh, being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so much so that we don't have to worry about sin. If we sin, all we got to do is think about the little Lamb, and He can spray His blood on me, and I can sin, sin, sin all I want. Uh, he came to to uh, take away the law. Uh, he came to destroy the law of Moses. So the law is nailed to the cross, and I don't have anything to worry about because Christ he paid for my sins, so if I sin, all i got to do is to say, hey, I'm sorry, and that's that, and I can keep on sinning over and over and over again. I don't have to try to obey the law. Uh, matter of fact, the law is just I love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I don't have to keep any of the other laws. He came, and he disagreed with his father, and, and he created some new laws. And I just described to you what traditional Christianity believes today, even though they would deny what I just said, but uh, that's what they believe. They believe that the Sabbath doesn't have not have to be kept, uh, even though Christ said in Mark 2, verse 27, that the, the Sabbath was created for mankind, not just for the Jews. Um, they will, will say that uh, the law, which they try to differentiate, they try to say that the law of Moses is different from the law of God, and that's not true, folks. The The, the law of Moses is the same as the law of God. The reason why God calls it the law of Moses in the scriptures is because he used Moses to give the law. <laughs> so the law is associated with Moses. That's the reason why it's called the law of Moses, not because the law of Moses is a bunch of garbage. Because if you think the law of Moses is a bunch of garbage, then you think God is a bunch of garbage. And um, 
I'm sure you don't think that, right? So, really, to to understand what the law of Moses is in First Kings two verse three, actually in verse two, First Kings two verse two, I go the way of all the earth, and this is uh, King David talking to his son King Solomon. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. So, how does a man show himself a man? Well. Here's the definition, verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Okay? So that's the definition of the law of Moses. The law of Moses contains God's ways, his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments and his testimonies. And it's all written in the law of Moses. And it says that thou mayest prosper in all that you do and whether it's whithersoever thou turns thyself. And then in the uh, Malachi, the, the fourth chapter, God states this, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So there will be nothing left to people who rebel against God. Verse 2, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. The wicked aren't going to live again. Uh, they're going to be ashes of the, under the soles of the saints' feet. And then verse 4, in the context of this, in the context of hellfire, God states this, Remember ye the law of uh-oh, Moses. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him into horror for all Israel. Israel also includes people who believe that King Messiah of Israel, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. Okay? So I commanded him into the horror for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And then he warns you, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is almost here. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. That night I come and smite the earth with a curse. And in the original Hebrew it says utter destruction. All right? So uh, for people to tell you that the law of Moses is nailed to the cross, they are lying to you. I don't know if they're doing it intentionally or not, but they don't know what they're talking about. So anyway, what is the basic message of the Bible, which is the gospel message, the good news? To understand that, we, we have to go back to the beginning, to understand why man is living a life that does not last, why the world is not at peace. Peace, true peace, folks, is when you don't have to worry about locking your door, uh, your house, your apartment door. Uh, you don't have to worry about locking your car. Uh, you don't have to worry about many things. Uh, you don't have to worry about someone knowing your bank account information, blah, blah, blah. Peace, true peace means that you have a peaceful state of mind. Uh, there's no worries. You have everything that you need. There's no way that this world has been peaceful like that for many years since the Garden of Eden. So most people's definition of peace, and I, I'm sure they're not thinking, they think that peace is all oh, when there's no fighting. No fighting like what's going on in Libya and other parts of the world. Uh, but fighting can be among your own family. Uh, families killing each other. Uh, just like I heard of this one guy that I know. His son beat him up to a literal pulp, uh, broke his ribs, 
that's that's not peace, folks. And this kind of stuff happens not just in this country, in the United States, but worldwide. There's something wrong with human beings. There's something wrong with the way we think. And, you know, Romans 8, verse 7 tells us this. We all have this tendency, even me, as close as I am to God right now, I still have temptations of going against him. So we all have this nature, this nature that is naturally against God and his commandments. We don't want to obey him. Uh, Romans 8, verse 7 says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And that's the key. When you're set on the flesh, when you're just set on the physical world, and you don't focus on the things above, as Colossians 3 commands us to do, then we, we get into this wanting to sin attitude. For the for that mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you just focus on the entertainment of this world, if that's the most important thing to you, then you can, you don't please God. You can't please God focusing on basketball games and tennis games and uh, events and, and so forth. Uh, that's not going to really ultimately please God if that's the thing that really gets you excited about life. If, that, if that's the thing that really motivates you to, to work and, and, and to breathe and to just enjoy life, then that's not going to please God. Verse 9, here's the difference, though. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God, obviously, is synonymous, does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness, Psalm 119, verse 172, is simply the commandments. And he says here, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And that really is the gospel message, folks, but I'm going to go into more detail about it. But let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, and this is an English Standard Version of the Bible, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, man, according to the Bible, is similar to the way God looks. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, I want you to understand something. For us to have dominion of the animals, we rule over the animals, we are responsible for them. And unfortunately, especially, well, I shouldn't say especially in this country, but in this country, uh, people, a lot of people don't treat their animals properly, so much so that they have a, a special police force for animal cruelty. So, when you don't take care of the animals like you're supposed to, you are sinning, and God commands us to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. So if we have dominion of animals, then we're responsible for taking care of them. The Bible even says a righteous man takes care of his animal. So we have a responsibility to take care of the animals. But anyway, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we are over the, this creation. God has put us over this creation. A man and a woman. A woman has jurisdiction over, uh, if you want to rule over something, uh, women, uh, you definitely have a lot more authority than you think. I mean, you, you, you're over the animals. You're over, well, let me read you what you have authority over. You have authority, women have authority over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and the entire planet, just like a man, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them. I want you to notice that. Mankind consists of a male and a female. It's not just a man. It's also a female and a man uh, being at union or being merged together. That's what I was trying to say. Male and female merged together is mankind, according to God. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. So only a man and a woman, not two men and two women, can do this. Uh, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. So you told them together to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right? So that's what he t- commanded us to do. And this is this is supposed to be our diet, and it changed, of course, after after sin and then after the the flood. But in verse 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps to the earth, on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So during the days of Adam, before the flood, food for a, a human being was, um, he said, every plant-yielding seed. And every tree was seed in this fruit. That's what's food for us. And then for the beasts of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, he gave them green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So he did all this on the sixth day he created human beings. All right, so. That is the backdrop. Now, in in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, let's get into more detail here. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So he didn't want man to lay around and get fat. Uh, He wanted him to work. Verse 16, and the work was pleasurable. And And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Not maybe die, surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's not good for a man to be alone. And, uh, and of course, I'm sure you understand who the helper fit for him is, a woman. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, or whatever the man called every living creature. That was his name. So we have all these names of animals. Uh, We have Adam to thank for naming them, and every creature. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man. Looks like this is the first surgery here. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. And verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. It doesn't say he ought to leave his father and his father, his mother and mother, for those who believe that God approves of uh, being a homosexual. Anyway, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother 
and hold fast to his wife, that's marriage, and they shall become one flesh, marriage. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so now we're going to understand what happened here, and I'm sure that uh, perhaps you are familiar with this story, but we're going to read it anyway. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree? In the garden, and the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the tree. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, that not you die." But the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she looked at it, and this is the way people make decisions today. They look at they they look at something, and and they they think it it is good because it's pleasurable, it looks good, so it must not be bad. So and that's unfortunately the decision making process that she used. So verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So obviously Adam was with her. <laughs> and he ate. And he observed all this. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. So anyway, we, we understand what happened here. They both did what they were not supposed to do. So let's get to the curses for disobedience here. And in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse are, um, well, actually, um, God had asked, uh, verse 12, let's go, let's, let's not skip anything here, let's go to, all right, verse 8, let me just read it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So here's the blame game. He's blaming the woman. When, you know, It was his fault. He knew better. He, he, he just sinned. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But she knew that she wasn't supposed to eat. But she's right, the, the serpent didn't trick her, and he's good at that. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. That's the reason why you see snakes on the ground instead of walking because of what, what happened here. On your belly you shall go, and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's literally a prophecy about the Messiah. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. This is the reason why women are in pain when they have kids, because of this. It says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that really is, is talking about it says these words, I'm going to use the notes here because they're pretty good for the ESV. It says these words from the Lord indicate that there will be an ongoing struggle between a woman and a man for leadership in the marriage relationship. The leadership role of the husband and the complementary relationship between husband and wife that were ordained by God before the fall have now been deeply damaged and distorted by sin. 
This especially takes the form of inordinate desire on the part of the wife and domineering rule on the part of the husband. The Hebrew term here translated desire is really found in the OT, Old Testament, but it appears again in verses four to verse four to seven, Genesis four verse seven, in the statement that closely parallels Genesis three verse sixteen. That is where the Lord says to Cain just before Cain's murder of his brother, that sin's desire is for you to master it, and that Cain must rule over it, which immediately he fails to do by murdering his brother. Similarly, the ongoing result of Adam and Eve's original sin of rebellion against God will have disastrous consequences for their relationship. Eve will have the sinful desire, or woman, will have the sinful desire to oppose Adam and to assert leadership over him, reversing God's plan for Adam's leadership in marriage. But Adam will also abandon his God-given pre-fall role of leading, guarding, and caring for his wife, replacing this with his own sinful, distorted desire to rule over Eve, I mean the rule in the wrong way. Thus, one of the most tragic results of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God is an ongoing damaging conflict between husband and wife in marriage driven by the sinful behavior of both in rebellion against their respective God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage. So that, that's an excellent translation, and, that, and that's what goes on. Uh, the, the wife must submit to her husband and not want to rule over him, and then uh, the man must rule in a loving way, not in a domineering way like Hitler or, or Gaddafi. Okay? So that, that's the way it should be done. Anyway, because of sin, we understand what has occurred here. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, Revelation 13, verse 8. So he said, you shall surely die. And, of course, they sinned, and that's the reason why we die today. So we've had a problem for many years, death. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, And all who dwell on the earth will worship but everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay? So, I'm quoting this scripture because it states that the Lamb... Uh, I'll be right back. Sorry about that. All right. Um, Revelation 13, verse 8, and it states, um, And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, so this is indicating here, I think in the King James Version is a little more clear here. I thank God that I've read the King James Version. I'm very familiar with it. Revelation 13, verse 8. And sometimes it's a lot more clear than these modern translations. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, so that's what happened. He was slain from the foundation of the world because of what Adam and Eve did. They sinned. And then there's a scripture in John that states, uh, let me find it here, about the Lamb of God. Yes, John, who was the first Elijah in the end time context, John 1 verse 20. The next day, John 
sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So the Lamb of God, who is uh, the Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, his purpose was to to um, fix the problem of what the sin caused that, that Adam and Eve did. Uh, there's a scripture that states that sin entered the world because of what they did. Uh, John 10, let's turn to John 10. John 10. John chapter 10. Starting in verse 15. It says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, it's not just one church, as many of these false churches teach. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. In other words, he'll bring all these others in the future. There won't be all these individual assemblies. They'll all be together. He's talking about the kingdom uh, when he comes back. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father, and of course the most famous scripture that's probably quoted out of the Bible, i got to quote it, John 3, verse 16. John 3, verse 16. Of course, they don't read the, most people don't read the rest of what it says, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, we understand that that's the reason why the Messiah did what he had to do. Now, in Romans 5, verse 12. Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. All right? So that's, the, that's what happened. When this occurred, uh, death entered into the world. Prior to that, death was not in the world, folks. And that is the problem. Because of this one sin, we all die. But thank God, through Yeshua Messiah, we have a chance, each of us individually, to to uh, live forever as was intended anyway from the beginning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel is really a simple message. People complicate it for the selfish pleasure or, or means or they just don't know any better. You know? But it's very simple if you just take what the Bible says and just believe it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians said, the, the, the good news is what? Are you going to live or die? Okay? And the good news is that if you obey God, you're going to live. I mean, it's that simple. That's, that's what the good news is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So they're using this uh, dichotomy here. Uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All right? And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, First Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which 
he will display at the proper time he who is blessed who is the blessed and only sovereign the king of kings the lord of wars who alone has immortality in other words he's the only man that has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can or can see to him be honoring and eternal dominion amen so he's the only man who has immortality right now but that's going to be extended in the future so the wonderful message of the Jewish gospel, and let's understand it is a Jewish good news thing because Christ is a Jew, is that Christ has provided a, a way for us to have immortality by dying on the cross. What he has done through his sacrificial act, he removed the death penalty from us. Prior to that, all of mankind was cursed to die and never live again. But because of his tremendous sacrifice, he has removed the death penalty from us. Now, it does not mean that all other sins that we commit, uh, it, is, it is automatically wiped away. No, it's only wiped away if we, if we repent and we change and we don't sin again. We have to show God as his brother revealed, his half-brother revealed in James, uh, the epistle of James, which James wrote, that faith must have works. You have to prove to God that you take him seriously. Just like when a boss at work tells you what to do. He said, okay, boss, I believe you. I'll do it. But he comes back and sees that you haven't done anything. How in the world can he say, that boss can say to that, that you actually believe what he, what he told you? Same thing with God as far as keeping his commandments. Okay, so the entire human race was destined for death, as I told you, because of Adam's sin. And, and Christ offered to sacrifice his life for mankind so that mankind can have an opportunity to live forever. Now, the Bible reveals that if we obey God's commandments, then we will receive the gift of immortality. And that's in Romans 6, verse 23. It's a gift. None of us earned it, that's for sure, because all of us deserve to die. But it's a gift. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It states here. For the wages of sin is death. So if you work to sin, then you're going to die. And you're not going to live again. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's another dichotomy. You obey, you live. You don't obey, you die. Plain and simple as that. It says, we will become spirits and have spiritual bodies. These are those who, of course, obey God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 really is a beautiful summary of the gospel. And I'm going to read this because uh, it's, it's really a beautiful summary of the, the entire plan of God. And in this time that I have, I just don't have time to just go over every little scripture. So uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a good summary of the plan of God. So let's, let's review that here. It tells you what the gospel is and everything. So I'm going to read this and um, let me try the easy read version of the Bible. And I'll be able to tell if it starts going off track and then I'll just go to the King James Version if, if that happens. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember the good news I told you. You received that good news message, and you continue to base your life on it. So it's going to tell you what the good news is. Verse 2, that good news, the message you heard from me, is God's way to save you. That's what the gospel is all about. You must continue believing it. If you don't, you believe for nothing. Verse 3, I gave you the message that I received. I told you the most important truth, that Christ died for our sins. This is the most important part of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say, that he was buried and was raised to life on the third day, as the scriptures say, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve apostles. After that, 
Christ appeared to more than 500 other believers at the same time. Most of them are still living today, but some have died. He's talking about back in the first century. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, and which is his half-brother, and later to all the other apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. I was different like a baby born before the normal time. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15 in the easy-to-read version. All the other apostles are greater than I. And Paul has a tendency to be so humble, and that's great. I saw this because I persecuted the church of God. Yes, he did. This is why I'm not even good enough to be called an apostle, which I agree, but God mercifully made him one. Verse 10, but because of God's grace, that is what I am, and his grace or favor that he gave me was not wasted. I worked harder than all the other apostles, but I was not really the one working. It was God's grace that was with me. I mean, he's really being very careful not to brag, and we should be that way too. Verse 11, so then it is not important if I told you God's message or if it was the other apostles who told you. We all tell people the same message, and this is what you believe. So he didn't think he was Mr. Head Honcho. He said that you're getting this message from me or you're getting it from the other apostles. Verse 12, we tell everyone that Christ was raised from death. So why do some of you say that people will not be raised from the dead? Verse 13, if no one will ever be raised from the dead, then Christ has never been raised. And if Christ has never been raised, then that message we tell is worth nothing. And your faith is worth nothing. Verse 15, and we also, and we will also be guilty of lying about God because we have told people about him, saying that he raised Christ from death. And if no one is raised from death, then God never raised Christ from death. If those who have died are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised from death, then your faith is for nothing. You are still guilty of your sins. And those in Christ who have already died are lost. If our hope... Let me see how much time i got left here. Ten minutes. Okay. Before I uh, answer questions. So let me get to reading this. Verse 18. Those in Christ who have already died are lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life here on earth, then people should feel more sorry for us than for anyone else. Verse 20. But Christ really has been raised from the death, the first one of all those who will be raised. Death comes to people because of what one man did. That was Adam and Eve. But now there is resurrection from death because of another man. That's Yeshua, or Jesus. I mean that in Adam all of us die, and in the same way in Christ all of us will be made alive again. Verse 23, but everyone will be raised to life in the right order. Christ was first to be raised, and when Christ comes again, those who belong to him will be raised to life. Then the end will come. Christ will destroy all rulers, authorities, and powers that are against him, of course. Then he will give the kingdom to God the Father. That's a great summary of what's going to happen here. Christ must rule until God puts all enemies under his control. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. So the purpose of the Messiah, to sum it all up, is to destroy death. And for, in order for him to destroy death, he has to destroy the capacity and the inclination for all of us to sin. Verse 27. As the scriptures say, God put everything under his control, under the Messiah's control. When it says that everything is put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. That means the Father. The Father is over the Son. That's like any other father. God is the one putting everything under Christ's control. So Christ is not the most powerful being in the universe. Verse 28, after everything has been put under Christ, then the Son himself will be put under God. The Messiah is under God, even though he is God in a sense because he's a representative of God, but he's even Christ stated in John chapter 20 that 
God the Father is his God, okay? God is the one who put everything under Christ. Again, let me underscore that. God is the one who put everything under Christ. This is important for Jews to understand because uh, I, I know that uh, Christians don't do a very good job of un- uh, explaining that Christ, though he may be God, he's God in a different way, okay? He's not the top superior God of the universe. God the Father is. And, and for Paul to say this, for Shaul, which is his Hebrew name, to say this, God is the one who put everything under Christ. And for somebody to put everything under you, obviously you're not greater than them or you're not even equal with them, you know, as far as power. And Christ will be put under God so that God will be the complete ruler over everything. <laughs> so so that that is the, um, and the, and I think the King James Version has a better translation of this here. Yeah, it says, uh, and when in the King James Version, verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That's the goal, for God to be all in all. And I may have to do an extension in this Bible study, because there's other scriptures too. The gospel does involve uh, salvation for all of mankind, salvation meaning eternal life, but it also talks about a kingdom, a kingdom. And it also talks about the unification of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But all of that ultimately leads to what I'm telling you now, that all of mankind, though obedient, all of obedient mankind will be allowed to live forever. So verse 29. So in verse 28 of, um, let me go back to the easy to read version here. And everything has been put under Christ, then the Son himself will be put under God. God is the one who put everything under Christ, and Christ will be put under God, so that God will be complete ruler over everything. Verse 29. If no one will ever be raised from death, then what will the people do who are baptized or immersed for those who have died? If the dead are never raised, then why are people baptized for them? And And what about us? What do we put ourselves in danger every hour? I face death every day. That is true, brothers and sisters, just as it is true that I am proud of what you are because of Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if it says proud in the King James Version. It says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Okay, let me go back. I fought wild animals in Ephesus. That's what a wild person can be. If they're just sinful, they can be wild animals spiritually. If I did that only for human reasons, then I have gained nothing. If we are not raised from death, let us eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits or bad company will ruin good uh, character. So it's very important to be around people that uplift you, not cause you to sin. Verse 34 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Come back to your right way of thinking and stop sinning. Some of you don't know God. I say this to your shame. Verse 35, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? Interesting question. That's part of the gospel. Let's get the answer. Verse 36, these are stupid questions. When you plant something, it must die in the ground before it can live and grow. And when you plant something, what you plant does not have the same body that it will have later. What you plant is only a seed, maybe wheat or something else. But God gives it the body that he has planned for it, and he gives each kind of seed his own body. All things made of flesh are not the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish have yet another kind. Verse 40, also there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the beauty of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the beauty of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of beauty, the moon has another kind, and the stars have another. And each star is different in its beauty. It will be the same when those who have died are raised to life. The body that is planted in the grave will, will ruin and decay, but it will be raised to a life that cannot be destroyed. Right now, our bodies decay. Right now, those poor Japanese, to use them as an example, many of the people that died, their bodies are decaying right now. But in the future, their bodies won't if they obey God. Verse 43, when the body is planted, it is without honor. But when it is raised, it will be great and glorious. He's talking about when it's in death, when it's planted. When the body is planted, it is weak. But when it is raised, it will be full of power. Verse 44, the body that is planted is a physical body. When it is raised, it will be a spiritual body. There is a physical body, dichotomy, so there is also a spiritual body. Put this, Visualize a physical body and then a, draw a straight line and then a spiritual body. The goal is for all of us to have a spiritual body. Verse 45, as the scriptures say, the first man, Adam, became a living person, another dichotomy, but the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. They're both Adams, but the first Adam was a physical being that sinned, but the last Adam is a life-giving spirit, which is Yeshua Messiah. Verse 46, the spiritual man did not come first. It was the physical man that came first. Then came the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man came from the dust of the earth. The second man came from heaven. He was the word of God. He was the literal word of God, and he came down from heaven. Verse 48, all people belong to the earth. They are like the first man of earth. But those who belong to heaven are like that man of heaven. So we will be like the man of heaven. We will be heavenly. Verse 49, we were made like that man of earth, so we will also be made like that man of heaven. We will also have spiritual bodies and be a spiritual being. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, our bodies of flesh and blood cannot have a part in God's kingdom. So you have to be a spirit. Awfully, you have to be a spirit to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Something that will... Ruin cannot have a part in something that never ruins. Verse 51, but listen, I tell you this secret. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. It will only take the time of a second. We will be changed as quickly as an eye blinks. This will happen when the last trumpet blows. It's talking about the literal last trumpet in the book of Revelation, the seventh trumpet. The trumpet will blow, and those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we will all be changed. Verse 53, this body that ruins most this body that ruins must clothe itself with something that will never ruin. And this body that dies must clothe itself with something that will never die. So this body that ruins will clothe itself with that which never ruins. And this body that dies will clothe itself with that which never dies. When this happens, the scriptures will be made true. Death is swallowed in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your power to hurt? Death's power to hurt is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But we thank God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, stand strong. Don't let anything change you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. So that is a beautiful summary of the gospel, folks. And uh, I just wish people would truly understand what this is all about. If they did, I don't think they would do half of the sinning that they do. And I wanted to go over certain other scriptures uh, that explains the gospel in detail, the fact that the gospel was preached in Old Testament times and so forth. It looks like I'm going to have to do that next week if some people want to call in and ask questions. If you don't, then I'll continue on with the Bible study. So right now we are in the um, part of the program where you can call in if you have any questions. And I'm going to continue on if no one calls in.
All right, so our faces uh, will shine like the sun and our bodies will glow and shine like the stars and the moon. Um, Paul was just alluding to scriptures like the following in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Right now the, the line is open for questions, so if you want to call in, go right ahead. Daniel chapter um, 12 starting in verse 2 to 3. It says right here, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So this is uh, one scripture that he was alluding to, or referring to. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. It says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he says, He who has ears, let him hear. So we're going to shine like the sun. That's very powerful, folks. Uh, very powerful indeed. Now, the world will finally be at peace when Christ comes to rule this earth. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 proves that. Let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, the Jews and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days, the days we're living in today, that the mountain of the Lord, of the house of the Lord, Mount Moriah, shall be established that's where the Temple Mount is at. As the highest of the mountains, it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. It will be used for agriculture. Ooh, someone is calling me. Okay, you're on the air. I think this is my wife or my son. Uh, yes, it's me, your wife. Uh, okay. The reason I'm calling is that in the Ezekiel, um, it's kind of getting off the subject of what you're talking about right now. It was the way at the beginning of the program when you said Ezekiel chapter 3. I just wanted to 30. be sure. Oh, it was Ezekiel 30. Right. Okay, I think you said chapter 3. So I just wanted to clarify that. Because I know when I went to chapter three, I didn't read what you know what you were discussing, so I just wanted. Okay, to well, if I made a mistake, folks, which I can make, uh, Ezekiel chapter. And it 30. could be that I just misheard, but I just wanted to make sure we got the right chapter on that because I I think that is something we need to be watching. What's going on in the world with with um, Egypt? Well, Egypt is quieter now, but especially especially with. Um, Libya, what's going on now, you know, like I, I did tell you earlier that the United States are now involved. I mean, they have fired on um, Libya, so we are directly involved with what's going on in Libya right now. And, you know, I can't say that um, this Qaddafi um, should not be replaced because he has uh, mistreated his people for many, many, many years, as we have heard, and 
And I know when people are not conducting themselves properly against other people, not loving their neighbor as themselves, and I don't think Qaddafi has been doing that, loving his people as he will love himself. Of course, he wants to oppress them and not give them um, the rights as far as being able to to progress in their nation, to be able to get a status where they're not living from day to day. I think they do practically live from day to day there. The economy is not really good. Would you happen to know the stats, Any have any stats on that, Kennard? Uh, yeah, Libya is, is a poor country. And the people are basically living how? I mean, what type of income are they having? Or they? Oh, I can't look it up on Wikipedia here, real quick. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they. I think they barely make it from day to day. He has to. Issue so he's out been doing this for him. years, and everyone has ignored it. And that's the point where he's killing people openly. That's when people uh, notice things, unfortunately. So I can't say it's wrong for the United States to be there. At least that's my no. opinion. No, I think no, that not, he should be for, uh, taken no. out of power well, since he is a dictator, meaning that the people has to obey him or he kill them. You know, I don't think anybody should live under those type of conditions where they can't speak out and express themselves, they can't progress. Uh, I don't think that the women get much uh, ability to progress. But if anybody else has any opinion on that, please feel free to call. I'd like to know more. Maybe you have relatives that live there, and maybe can clarify some of the things I'm saying. You know, I don't mind even if it's what I'm saying is not true. If you do, if you do know what's going on there, please feel free to call and and express you know your ideas. And that's all I wanted to just clarify on that one scripture. So that was Ezekiel chapter thirty, verse three. Then right, verse one to nine. One to nine. Okay, just wanted to clear that up. All right, bye bye. Yeah, this Wikipedia article states that Libya was one of the wealthiest countries. One of the it was one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Its GDP per capita was higher than that of developed countries such as Italy, Singapore, South Korea, Spain, and New Zealand. This is in Wikipedia under the uh, headline Libya. Today, high oil revenues and a small population give Libya one of the highest GDPs per capita in Africa, and have allowed the Libyan state to provide an extensive level of social security particularly in the fields of housing and education. Many problems still beset Libya's economy, however. Unemployment is the highest in the region at 21%, according to the latest census figures. Compared to its neighbors, Libya enjoys a low level of both absolute and relative poverty. Uh, Libyan officials in the past six years have carried out economic reforms as part of a broader campaign to reintegrate the country into the global capitalist economy. This effort picked up steam after UN sanctions were lifted in 2003, and as Libya announced in December 2003 that it would abandon programs to build weapons of mass destruction. Okay, so it says climatic conditions and poor soil severely limit agriculture output in Libya imports about 75% of its food. Water is also a problem. I know imports means they, they buy it from other countries. Water is also a problem with some 28% of the population not having access to safe drinking water in the year 2000. That's sad. All right, so they obviously are having economic problems, and I don't need confirms what my wife is uh, stating here. So that is the situation with uh, Libya. They're not as rich as the United States, that's for sure. Okay, so getting back to what I was saying here about the gospel, uh, in Isaiah... 
says in verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And right now, there's war. And why is there war? Right, let's turn to James. Why do people war? And, and warring is not just killing each other with bullets and bombs. It's also just fighting or having arguments against one another, disagreements and so forth. Why is that the case? Why do human beings have to war against one another? Well, in James 4, verse 1 tells us, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And a lot of people have that problem. They ask for the wrong things, and God is not going to give you the wrong things. Sometimes he does it to, to punish you, but he does not desire to give you the wrong things. So if you're ever wondering, how come God is not giving this to me? Because it's for your own good. That's why. Uh, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And the reason why he's saying that is because when you desire things that's not yours, you're worldly. Okay? And you're lusting. And that's sin. And that's why he's saying that. But anyway. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 tells us what the Messiah is going to do. I know some Jews disagree and they think this is Hezekiah, but it can't be talking about Hezekiah. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, says, For us a child is born and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Not Obama's or anyone else is going to be on the Messiah's shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Constant, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness, which is uh, a commandment, Psalm 119, verse 172, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that's another prophecy. We're going to have a beautiful world. Everyone's going to get along, just like Rodney King. After, after he got the living, whatever, beat out of him, he stated, Can we all get along? Yes. We will, Rodney. We will all get along one day, I assure you. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Starting in verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. Now, we talked about that last trumpet in First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's get a little more detail. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So that tells you that right now the world is under the rule of the devil, as Revelation 12, verse 9 tells us. The ruler of this world is the devil. He deceives the whole world. But that time is coming, because he knows he has a short time, and Revelation chapter 12 says that, where God is going to do the following here. It says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, uh, our Lord, in this context, is the Father and of his Christ, uh, his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time of the dead to be judged. This is the time of the resurrection. All right? So despite what other people are preaching about, rapture and everything. This is the time when everyone else, this is the time when people are truly raptured, uh, resurrected from the dead, the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, 
The reward is immortality, and, and also the other gifts and rewards along with that. And those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So when this happens, uh, this is going to be the time for the, of the resurrection, the time for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And that's the reason why there's going to be peace, because he's going to eliminate every person and every nation that is against him. True believers will rule with him. Uh, Revelation 20, verses 4 to 6. Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, that's what's going to happen. We're going to rule over the earth, which is part of the gospel message. And then Proverbs 25, verse 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search out things. I'm quoting that scripture because if you really desire to want to be a king priest, like Yeshua Messiah, you must desire to search out things. You must do Bible study like I do it. I mean, I, I do. I use a concordance. I do a lot of extensive Bible study. I I take the Bible as being my life, basically. The words are life, and I take it serious, and I study it just like I would study a college course. And that's the way you should do it. That's the way you should do it. Currently, the world is not at peace because we are collectively breaking the laws of God. This is in Isaiah chapter 24. People can justify and say, well, all we need to do is love, but how do you love? <laughs> how do you love your neighbor? Any Jew that understands their tradition understands that when an a fellow Jew says, love, love your neighbor as you love yourself, what that really it means is the summation of the entire law of God. And the entire law of God shows you how to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you don't love yourself by keeping the commandments, how can you love someone else? You can't. Now, you can't do it accurately anyway. Isaiah chapter 24, starting in verse 5, it says, The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. And why? For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant, which is the agreement that God made with the nation of Israel, which is not just for the nation of Israel, but for the entire world. And because of this, Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men left, which is a prophecy. Uh, a lot of uh, men and women will be scorched if they continue on with this overall rebellion that most people participate in throughout the world. There's very few people that actually keep God's commandments. And I use this scripture to defend Yeshua and God against people that say that, they, that the law has been done away with. If the law was wrong, then why is there not peace? If if the Jesus that most Christians believe in, he did away with his father's law, we have to do is love each other, then how come there's still peace? I mean, how come there's not peace on the earth? Because Psalm 119 tells us, in 160, starting in 165, it says, Great peace have those who love your law, Nothing can make them stumble. 
And verse and then in verse one sixty six of Psalm one nineteen it says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. So when you hope for salvation, when you hope for eternal life, that's when you're truly saved, when you don't have to worry about death anymore, then you are doing the commandments. Don't let don't let anyone say that you don't have to keep the commandments or <laughs> to earn salvation. Yes, you do. You have to. This scripture proves that. But what God wants you to understand and what I want you to understand is that you can keep all the commandments all you want. That's not going to earn you salvation ultimately. Uh, the reason why you're able to keep the commandments is because of the Messiah dying, the Messiah's spirit within you helping you keep the commandments. So that's the reason why you can't say you're earning your own salvation. You're not earning your own salvation. That salvation is given to you as a gift. And it's a gift because not through your own efforts, but by the spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit in you helping you to keep the commandments. But you still have to keep the commandments. If you don't keep the commandments, you're not going to be in the kingdom. Plain and simple as that. All right. Um, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. Peace they will add to you. That's the reason why the world collectively does not have peace, because most aren't keeping the commandments. And yet I hear this, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. When Christ came, he did away with the law. You know, And that's a big lie. Well, if that's the case, then I challenge anyone that believes that slop. Why do we not have peace then? How come there's not peace on the earth? Well, the reason why there's not peace on the earth, folks, is because most people in this world are not keeping the law of God, the law of Moses. That's why. The law of Moses will bring peace on this earth. The law of God will bring peace on this earth. And that is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me, Yah, which is another name for God. Psalm, Isaiah chapter, I already quoted that, Isaiah chapter 11. Let's look at the Isaiah chapter 11 here. This is what keeping the law of God will do, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to transform this world into a beautiful, beautiful garden. And people will be beautiful because they're going to be beautiful inside. Isaiah chapter 11, they're going to be beautiful outside too. Isaiah chapter 11, read this in the English Standard Version of the Bible, says, There shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse, talking about the Messiah, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, which is to hate evil, in Proverbs 8, verse 13. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his eyes hear, which means he's a supernatural being, despite what the Jews teach. Verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath of lips he shall kill the wicked. He shall kill the wicked. The wicked won't live again. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. Total peace, folks, because the law will be kept collectively. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, 
and the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth, and this is the reason why, folks, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So let me try to put some sense into your brain. <laughs> if it was correct what traditional Christianity teaches, then there would be peace on the earth. Okay, there would not be, uh, there, there would be the condition of, uh, that he speaks here. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. You're not seeing this condition because the whole world is not keeping the law of God. And when you don't keep the law of God, you don't know him. That's how you get to know God, by keeping his law. If you don't keep his law, you don't know God. People try to act like they know God, but if you don't understand his commandments, and if you don't keep his commandments, you don't know God. I'm going to find a scripture here to prove that here. First John, you don't know God if you don't keep his commandments. And people keep on telling me that the Sabbath is done away with and, and all this other stuff, and all they're telling me is that they don't know God. They don't know God because he never taught that the Sabbath was done away with. And that's a big lie, one of the biggest lies ever in the history of Christianity. You know, so you've got to stop that. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Actually, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Okay, so the only way you know God is by keeping his commandments. His commandments help you to understand how he thinks. Okay, and if you don't keep his commandments, you don't know God. So getting back to verse 9, that they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I can tell you that the, the earth is not full of the knowledge of the Lord because most people aren't keeping the law of God. Okay, and it says, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples of Messiah. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Isaiah, which is the area of Iraq, from Egypt, here we go with Egypt again, from Panthros, from Cush, which is Ethiopia, from Elam, from Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah, from the four corners of the earth, the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah. In other words, the ten tribes won't be jealous of the tribe of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim uh, consists of the United States, Britain, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, uh, South Africa, all the countries in northwestern Europe. And if you don't believe what I just said, you think I'm a crackpot, then go to www.beasandboyrit. A-M, as in mother.org, and realize that I'm not a crackpot, that I know what I'm talking about. Verse 14, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. Talking about uh, Ephraim and Judah here. They shall put out the, the hand against Edom and Moab, and the, and the Ammonites shall obey them. Jordan. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and will strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Isaiah, uh, the area of Iraq there, 
for the remnant that, that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So this is going to happen in the future. Isaiah chapter 11 is a powerful scripture to understand the work of the Messiah. Okay, and in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, starting uh, in verse 31 to 34, says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement, with the house of, not a new law, but a new agreement to keep the law, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the agreement that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my agreement that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the agreement or covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law. He didn't say he would change the law. He's going to put the law within them, and I will write it on their hearts and their minds, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor like I'm doing now, and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, this has not happened, folks. This has not happened worldwide and has not happened among all the tribes of Israel yet. But it will in the future. That is the new agreement which was talked about here during Jeremiah's time. Okay, eventually all mankind will realize that the only way that they will have peace is, is by keeping all the Ten Commandments of God. Ultimately, the sons of God will participate in expanding the entire universe, folks. And that's, this is revealed in Romans 8, verses 14 to 23. All right, and uh, just to quote another scripture of how the world will be here. I only got four minutes here, so I don't have too much time. Isaiah chapter 65. I have to end with this. Isaiah chapter 65, starting at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever and that which I create. I, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. An infant who lives in a few days is going to refer also to abortions. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them and their plant and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. And my children shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Uh, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And Isaiah chapter 66 states this, For as a new heavens and a new earth that I make, Isaiah 66 verse 22, For as the new heavens and a new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Shabbat to Shabbat. All flesh, all of mankind shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So all of mankind is going to be keeping the law of God for those who think the law is nailed to the cross. 
Verse 24, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. So for those who continue to believe that the law has been nailed to the cross, and if you want to believe that, even though someone today is revealing to you that that's not the case, then this is what probably will happen to you. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men and women who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Not saying they won't die, but the worms. In other words, when you die, you have worms on you, right? It's going to be some of dead bodies. It looks like that. It's going to be worms there eating the bodies. That's what it's talking about. It's going to be a continuous thing. Obviously, it's going to be some rebellion, a significant part of rebellion that God's going to have to get rid of. And people are going to look at that, and hopefully, that'll motivate a lot of those people not to to sin like they did and and to and to keep the law of God. Okay, so that that's what's going to happen. And then Zechariah. Chapter 14, when he, when the Messiah lands on the Mount of Olives and when he comes back, it's going to begin the process of of uh, figuring out who's righteous and who isn't, those who are, are uh, of course, uh, alive on the earth at that time. And he says uh, in Zechariah 14, verse 1, it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations against you as into battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This this situation is coming soon. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, a very wide valley. So, um, So this is talking about him coming back. And it says in verse 9, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Thank God for that. No different religions. And it states here, verse 16, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Booths. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not come, which represents the world, and present themselves, then on them shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and a punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is one of the commandments of God listed in Leviticus chapter 23. So anyway, I hope you understand the message of the gospel. And may God bless and keep you. And I'm going to have a new format next week. I'll tell you about it. and But I'll leave you in suspense. I will speak to you next week, God willing. May God bless and keep you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, 
and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 